You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Wednesday, November 2nd. As always, I'm your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You might be familiar with some of my baseball-related work at JustBaseball.com. Great website. Great website. I actually just published a Padres article very recently over there, so go check that out. And you can also find me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O. That's right. And then at L-O underscore Padres for exclusively Padres content. That account has been a little bit quiet lately because, of course, right, the Padres were eliminated. So we don't have too much to talk about there. But thankfully, that's right, I'm back. My vacation is over. And we're back talking about Padres. And on today's episode, we got to talk about the gold gloves because they were announced, right? Really awesome. Maybe even might give like as a little bonus, my thoughts on the World Series, a little bit of bonus at the end of the podcast. But for the most part, we got to talk about this because Trent Grisham won a gold glove, his second gold glove. How about that? And it's, I'm happy for the guy, first and foremost. Um, I've talked about a lot in this podcast about Grisham. I don't think he's very good. Um, he certainly clearly stays in the lineup purely because of his uh, defensive capabilities out there in center. Let's talk about the good first, which is that, first of all, he won, which was great. He basically, you know, if you look at just the kind of traditional numbers that people use for defense, or maybe not traditional, but the kind of base ones. I know traditional people used to use fueling percentage and, you know, errors and stuff like that. But this year, uh, in terms of outs above average and defensive runs saved among players in the National League, qualified players at least, Grisham was dynamite um, in terms of outs above average. He was tied for first among all center fielders in baseball with 13. And then a defensive run saved. He wasn't necessarily at the top, but he did have a solid amount of eight, which I imagine comes from the fact that there was, in my opinion, a, a real lack of like jump out of your seat. Oh my God, plays from Grisham this year. He definitely had some moments where he struggled where said this for a long time he almost like forgets where his glove is and it'll bounce every part of his body right it'll go here it'll go here it'll go here everywhere except for the glove right it goes everywhere except there even when he gets to it so quickly and that's the thing with him is the range he has a good arm all that stuff makes up for it but maybe that is possibly why you know and things like outfield assists and things like maybe ultimate zone rating where he's a little bit trailing behind guys like Michael Harris, who was a rookie who had a very good year as well, who I think is someone that was certainly deserving of the award too. Grisham beat him out and outs above average, uh, 13 to seven, but then a defensive run saved. They were both tied. And then you could even go, go uh, with Victor Robles, even of the nationals. He had 12 defensive runs saved and a five outs above average. So bottom line is I wouldn't have hated if Michael Harris got it. And the reason why is because I'm going to try my best to, or at least I try my best when talking about baseball, when talking about sports, to try not to make it feel like I'm just reading off of a sheet. And whoever's watching the video sees right now that I'm reading off of a sheet, off of my notes to the side, just to make sure I get all the numbers right. But I try not to, because I think it actually makes the sport quite boring, um, at least in my opinion. Um, numbers are fun. 
if you come to baseball because you love numbers and you're like, I just love the the crazy numbers of it all. You know, you're addicted to that stuff and the super strategy of it all. Hey, I get it. I'm addicted to Marvel Snap right now, which is numbers and text. You know what I mean? Like, so we all have our things. But for me, I recommend everyone checking out actually um, an article in The Atlantic um, by Derek Thompson, great writer for The Atlantic, um, who kind of wrote about the Moneyball, dark side of Moneyball era. And I thought he wrote very succinctly and right about how Analytics haven't exactly ruined the sport, but it's taken, a, it's homogenized it a bit. So that is all to say that the reason why I would have been okay with Michael Harris winning is because the Braves had a great year and he's a rookie. And I think that that should play a little bit of a mount of a, a little bit of a flash and say, wow, this guy came onto the scene. And it was awesome. And also he wasn't nearly as terrible as Grisham in the offensive department. And I know that this is the gold glove. I, I get it. This shouldn't matter at all. Right. That's where you get all the other awards, but I don't know. I think that it should at least be in an effort to make the discussions a little bit more fun instead of me pulling up fan graphs and going, okay, who led an ultimate zone rating outs above average at the best red tape? Okay. was this guy gold glove instead of making it like that? Maybe. I don't know. I, I ask the listeners. I ask the listeners, what do you think about that? Adding some extra little kernels to make it interesting. I'm still happy. Trent Christian got it. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it wouldn't have been the worst thing ever. If our boy here, if our if our legendary boy uh, Michael Harris uh, had gotten the award instead, that's just me though. I could be wrong, and that's totally fine. But also with Grisham, I think that one of the things about him that is so sad, aside from the offensive failures, is that the Padres, you know, they they end their season right? With Trent Grisham, he had done so well, but then he was atrocious in the NLCS. And then he was one of the last outs after a questionable bunt attempt, but I'm still happy for the guy because he had a tough year and it's nice to see that he won another gold glove, right? He won in 2020 when he was excellent there as well. I don't think he's this game altering defender, but it is a reminder that there is some value with Grisham. And if the Padres, you know, I complain about him a whole lot, but at the very least, you know that you have a pretty capable center fielder. And when you look at the the Padres center fielders over, I don't know, maybe since the entirety of AJ Preller, maybe even since like, I don't know, because I remember, you know, you could go back to and say Melvin Upton or Matt Kemp or Justin Upton, like those guys were okay offensively, but their defensive stats were, were, were quite horrid. Um, the Padres have not had good defensive center field in a long time. So I think that's a really big thing of this as well. If you want to throw a narrative, you could throw that in there as well, which is that the Padres haven't had really good defensive players in center field for a long time. I mean, I could bring up the 2018 Padres, right? Who the heck was playing uh, center field in 2018? I forgot. Uh, let me look that up real quick. But you get my point. I think that for the yeah, – let me just pull this up real quick. It was Margo? I thought it was um, Renfro. No, Renfro played left. Okay, okay, Renfro played left, okay. But anyway, you get my point. Bottom line is, it's crazy to say, but Trick Bishop's probably one of the better center fielders, not necessarily outfielders, right? I think Seth Smith had a better year than Trick Grisham this year because he could hit for a little bit. One of the best center fielders that the Padres have had in quite some time, and that means something. And if he can just up his offense to be league average, if he can do what Hassan Kim did this past season, then that would be a huge deal for the Padres going forward. And I think that we shouldn't totally give up on him. I wouldn't sell completely low on him. Although winning this gold glove, I don't think they will. If they did trade him, I don't think they would sell low on him. I actually think they might get 
some decent team needs in return. If they want to try and package Grisham with someone to maybe go get Pablo Lopez, if they really want starting pitching that badly, or maybe some bullpen help, depending on what happens with Martinez, there's plenty of options there, but uh, bottom line, very happy for the guy. He certainly tries his heart out and he's super intense when the team's winning at all that. I know everybody has the, the double flip bird thing on Twitter. They love posting that picture of him. Of course, a gesture that I cannot replicate on this PG, occasionally PG-13 program, Locked on Padres. You first listen every day. Um, but, yeah, uh, nonetheless, he's still a lot of fun. And I hope that he gets better next year. And he was so horrid offensively this year. Maybe there's some room for improvement. Maybe there's some room for improvement. But I'll tell you one thing, guys. There's also a room for improvement when it comes to how you dress. You know, I can't wait till the winter and when I really start dressing. That's that's an old meme. I think I butchered it. But guys, you know, here's the thing. You got to lean into your personality and what makes you authentic to your audience. You know what I mean? When you're entering a room, you got to let people know, look at me. I'm feeling fly. I feel like me. I'm looking good. Well, guess what? Roan has you covered. All right makes you feel good and authentically good. You're not going to feel like you're spending 80 bajillion dollars on a suit because that's what everyone else tells you to do. And you, you're walking up there being like, oh man, I, I do I have to be James Bond? This doesn't even feel comfortable for me. Well, guess what? Not only does it make you feel good, but it also works as comfort, right? It's the commuter shirt from Roan. Most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man. And here's why. Mobility is everything. Let me tell you. I mean, seriously, four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you fear free, free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. All right. Maybe even a little, uh, maybe a little ball is life basketball. I say that because I'm not much of a golf person. Love mini golf, not a golf person, not really a golf person, but also Ladies and gentlemen, you know what I am? I'm all about making looking good feel easy. And that's what they do. It's time to feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, which is a, a wild term that I've never heard of before Roan. And it's awesome because it makes them disappear as you stretch and wear the shirt. It is quite literally that easy. And it has odor-free tech with gold fusion anti-odor technology. You'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner all together. It's awesome. Makes me feel good. It's versatile. Can work for a bunch of different areas and what have you. And I'm all about that utility, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the Hassan Kim of when it comes to, to clothes and stuff. You know what I mean? I, I could play short, third base, heck, second, right? I could do all that sort of stuff. Well, that's how I feel. You know what I mean? About my clothes and stuff like that. I like to wear things that make me feel comfortable, look good, and are usable everywhere. And now because you're listening to this podcast, let's bring it home. can get you through any workday with this commuter shirt. Head to roan.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on to save 20% off your entire order. 20% locked on from the locked on Padres guy. That's where it's just that easy. No, no crazy code for you. I got you. That's 20% off your entire order. When you head to Roan, R-H-O-N-E.com slash locked on and use the code locked on. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, I have to remind you, thank you for making Locked On Padres your first listen 
every day. But I also want to tell you to go check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter to the most biggest enlightening and revolutionary stories in sports, all adjectives that certainly aren't usually attached to news stories, but nonetheless, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's really good stuff. It's kind of like your morning refresher, like 20 minutes, boom, you're well-versed in sports. It's pretty sick. I even appear on there sometimes, so go check that out. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, Uh, and that is a certain San Diego Padre that once again did not win the gold glove. And again, I, I really need to stress that just because a certain third baseman on the St. Louis Cardinals is quite good does not mean that Sir Manny Machado is not as good. Of course, I'm talking about Nolan Arenado, who won yet another gold glove. Um, he's incredible. It's his 10th gold glove award in 10 major league seasons, tying Ichiro Suzuki for the most consecutive gold gloves to begin an MLB career. I'm reading from MLB.com, by the way. Arenado also tied Phillies legend and Hall of Famer Mike Schmidt for the second most gold glove awards by a third baseman in major league history, trailing only Brooks Robinson with 16. Arenado led all third basemen with an ultimate zone rating of 13, and he was second behind Key Brian Hayes with 15 outs above average. If you're curious about where Manny Machado stacked up, he had eight outs above average, and this might surprise you a little bit, minus three defensive run saves. I was surprised when I pulled that up. I'm not sure why that happened. That's weird, and I think that defensive run saved, this shows you occasionally why that stack can be a little bit fluky sometimes. Because it's very weird for you to be that much in the positive on the outs above average thing, but then minus three when it comes to the defensive run save thing. Um, I remember there was one point last year that Jerickson Profar was up there. And the reason for that was because he had so many outfield assists. Um, or I should say this past season. He was he had so many outfield assists that maybe that bolstered his defensive numbers a little bit. But still, um, it's still something to take into account. But when it comes to ultimate zone rating, Machado is also... Uh, in the negative, minus 0.8. So definitely not Manny's best defensive year. Of course, it didn't matter because the fact that he had a solid defensive year combined with his offense that made him what might be the MVP of the National League. And believe me, we're doing an episode on that in the future, guys. But I think that a lot of people will complain that Machado didn't get the award. I've seen people complain on Padres Twitter about Arenado and that they just stay, they give him too much attention or what have you and slightly cruder language. People at Padres will say, uh, say that. I don't think that there's a problem with this. Some people will say Cabrera Hayes should have won because in terms of outs above average, he finished above Nolan Arenado. In terms of defensive run saves, he finished ahead of Nolan Arenado. The only thing, major thing that we mentioned there was the ultimate zone rating is what Cabrera Hayes lagged behind. I think that just in terms of that argument, it's tough. I think that playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are perpetually, seemingly always rebuilding, and the fact that he also wasn't a very good offensive player, Brian Hayes, like a 7-10 OPS. Again, in an effort to say, let's make things interesting, please do not clip this out and say, this guy is an idiot. 
How dare he bring offensive numbers to this? I'm trying to just make things exciting, my friends. I'm trying to make things fun and interesting. That's all I'm trying to do. I think it says a lot that Nolan Arenado was still able to have such a splendid offensive season, and it wasn't at the uh, cost of his of his defense. I do think that that maybe should matter a little bit more and make this a little bit more fun. He had such a great year um, after 2021 when he was basically a home run RBI guy, and that's not necessarily uh, always the best thing for an offensive player to judge by, right? Like he had a lot of home runs, certainly, and a lot of RBIs but he was not walking nearly as much. He wasn't really hitting uh, for enough hits in general, as you probably would like from Nolan Aaron, but he had a bounce back season. He was awesome. I have no issue with this award. I think that there is always a case that May Machado has been underrated in this regard, but I will say that overall, if you want to look at Yats above average, the defensive run saved Machado's best days at third base was back in Baltimore. Um, that's when he made the freaky plays that you were seeing every night. That's why he blew up. It feels like uh, all the time, aside from some of the, you know, on field antics, I guess you could call them uh, from Machado that that's why people had heard of him because he was making these incredible plays. He doesn't quite do that the same anymore, but you also have to keep in mind, he's still young. And I say young uh, in quotes, uh, just in context, the fact that I thought this guy was like, the way it feels like he's been a Padre forever, the way it feels like we've been hearing about him since, at least for me, since high school, you'd think he's like 32. He's 30 years old, and he turned 30 this past July. It's totally possible that Machado has a better defensive season next year. And because of that upside defensively, it is what makes Manny so good. Let's say his offense goes back down a little bit. Well, maybe he does better defensively, right? Totally possible. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe it was just the fact that he had to carry the offensive load for much of the season that put a little bit of a, a giant weight on his shoulders. Nonetheless, I don't really hate this at all. I understand why Pirates fans are mad, but I also would say, hey, be at least a decent offensive player, coward. Key Brian Hayes. He's just a rich man's Andrelton Simmons, you know? That's what Key Brian Hayes seems to be right now. Uh, but no, I would have liked Key Brian Hayes to win it, but I think that the voters might have been swayed by the fact that Arenado was still very good, that his offense was good, like I mentioned, and to give him his 10th straight. I think that that might be what happened here. And personally, I do not hate that line of thinking, even if Hayes might have been a little bit more deserving. But you know what? Screw the Pirates. Y'all don't spend any money. You know what I mean? <laughs> sometimes I don't want to reward teams that have a, a great player. Sometimes that I'm not going to feel bad for the team. I'm going to feel bad for the player. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, if that makes any sense at all. That's just me, though. I could be a, a buffoon. And in terms of the other position that people might be wondering, catcher. Unfortunately, Jorge Alfaro did not win the gold glove, guys. Uh, no, that went to JT Romuto. Um, of course, I'm kidding about Alfaro defensively. In terms of the other winners, Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks. Holy Lord, would Christian Walker have been the perfect Padre for this Padres team? Helping and slugging? Don't care about the batting average whatsoever in the case of Walker. But during the regular season, he was, I mean, he was a dynamite player, 804 OPS. Like he was really good this year, 17 defensive run saves and 14 outs above average first gold glove. Um, and he's the first one to win the honor since Paul Goldschmidt in 2013, 2015, 2017. So awesome for Christian Walker, man. I mean, watching him this year, he had some awesome just dingers, that guy. Um, so that was great. Second base, Brendan Rogers of the Colorado Rockies in division rival. Um, it did not go 
to one Sir Jake Cronenworth in that regard, which people might be saying, what the heck, man? What's going on? I don't get it. Well, let's take a look. Second base, Jake Cronenworth. Defensive run saved, he had 13. It's pretty good. Outs above average, he had four. It's also pretty damn good, especially when you consider he was he was the recipient of the great crone zone call of Mr. Don Orsillo. I think that should play a little bit into this. But compared to Brendan Rodgers, 22 defensive runs saved and an outs above average mark of three, which is only one less than Cronenworth. I think Rodgers, for a crappy team, yeah, it stinks that this kind of goes against what I said about Key Brian Hayes, but crappy team and he had a bounce back year in a lot of ways, he was really solid. And I don't hate this. I know that with Cronenworth, I think that one part for him that should be taken into consideration is the fact that he really can play all over. I'm going to be very curious to see if they actually maybe, depending on some off-season acquisitions, whether or not they experiment with Cronenworth at first base, maybe move Tatis to short uh, and then Kim to second, I should say. Maybe that's what they end up doing. I don't know. That's going to be a very interesting for all us Padres, like super nerds, like kind of interesting story to follow, because if that's the case, then I think he could absolutely be another gold glove caliber player next year, especially when you take into account that he more often than not, or not more often than not, but uh, he more often than other players may be tasked to play a little bit of second base and maybe even throw him at short a couple of times, depending on how injuries and whatnot go down. So that should be interesting. The other position that the Padres had a nominee in was Mr. Hassan Kim. But unfortunately, that goes to Dansby Swanson. Reading from MLB.com, in addition to being selected to his first all-star team in 2022, Swanson also won his first career gold glove award and the third gold glove for a shortstop in Braves history. Anderson Simmons won the honor at the position in 2013 and 14. <sighs> Swanson led all NL players with 21 outs above average, an increase of 19 from his 2021 total. And I think that's the big thing that happened here, right? I think that's the big thing. He was great. Francisco Lindor is another one here who somehow had minus three defensive runs saved, but then 13 outs above average. Again, defensive run saved is really weird. <laughs> Look, I don't totally understand how this stuff happens. Um, and then you've got guys like William Adamas, who was a pretty good player for the Brewers. Um, the Brewers were unfortunately a little bit too home run happy ball or nothing. Uh, so that kind of maybe uh, had people forget a little bit about Willie Adam as a season. Nonetheless, though, he was very solid. Jorge Mateo wasn't nominated in the American League. Again, we're talking about Padres here, but he wasn't nominated. And that's kind of crappy. It really is. Um, but the bottom line is that needs to be a good reminder of why the gold glove, while it is fun for me to talk about it because Trent Grisham won. Woo! It also is not really the best award to tell who the best defenders were, um, especially since we haven't talked about it yet. Juan Soto was nominated in right field. For those who don't know, he was in the bottom first percentile of outs above average. I can understand being like, oh, I don't think Juan Soto is that bad defensively. He had an off year. But it, for him to be nominated is crazy. Mookie Betts ends up winning, which is fine. But I think that the reason that Hassan Kim didn't get it here. He was awesome this year. I think he had a decent case, 10 defensive runs saved and a six outs above average mark, which was great filling in for Tatis, right? They needed him to step up and he did. I think that there's a good narrative factor to play for Hassan Kim and the fact that he did make his offensive 
uh, skills, at least league average. You know what I'm saying? I'd love to see if he takes another step next year. But the fact that he was able to do that is a big play. But for me, Dansby Swanson, the fact that it was a the big breakout story of this year heading into free agency. And like they said, a 20 or a 19 increase. You knew what you were getting from Lindor. You knew what you were getting from um, Hassan Kim. You knew what you were getting from, you know, Brandon Crawford to an extent, who wasn't that great this year. But still, you knew what you were going to get from those type of guys. You did not know you were getting this from Dansby Swanson. So I'm totally cool with him winning the gold glove. I think that Manny deserves a more account or more credit. No, no, not necessarily. Yeah, no, Manny, it, it should have been Hayes or um, Arenado. But you get my point. Totally cool with that. Hassan Kim, this does not take away from him. None of this takes away from anybody. The Padres have a lot of really interesting defenders, and it's one of the first times you can say that about the team in a while. Got Manny. I think when the goober, Fernando Tatis Jr., comes back, I think there's a lot of defensive upside there. I think that 2020 and 2019 and 2021, I think he's somewhere in between. I think he could be a very solid defender of that shortstop. I do not think the slander is justified all that much. You've got Hassan Kim. You've got Jake Cronenworth, anyone better than the former first baseman, Eric Hosmer, as far as I'm concerned. You've got Grisham. Will Myers is going to be off the books. Maybe you replace him with a little bit better of a defensive outfielder. you got Profar, maybe, depending on how that shakes up. I like that. I like that the Padres have a lot of upside there. And in my opinion, guys like Jose Azokar and Luis Campizano are players to watch um, for potentially improving the Padres next year in terms of players that they already have. I think Campizano could be fine behind the plate, and I think he could add something, certainly, offensively. And then you have Jose Azokar, who I think is worth mentioning. I don't think he qualified, but his outs above average mark the last time I checked was six. Trent Grisham finished with 13. Keep in mind, he did play a lot more than Jose Azokar. I think that Azokar could be just good enough to outweigh the, um, the defensive negative that Trent Grisham, or not the, the the offensive negative that Trent Grisham brings to the table. I think that Jose Azokar's defense is enough to make up for um, the, de- you guys get what I'm saying. I can't say this properly, but I think Azokar's offense will be good enough. And I think that his defense can get better that even if Grisham's an amazing defender, he can't make up for it because of his bad offense. If that made sense, hopefully it made sense. Hopefully. I'm sounding like a lunatic today. Um, but with all that said, everybody, that's basically it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I really do. Um, I really, really do. I hope you enjoyed it, guys. We're back. Sorry about the sabbatical. Uh, had a bunch of things that I was doing, but I figured, hey, you know, it's not the worst time for me to be off for a week because the World Series is on and, you know, the Padres are eliminated. So in terms of the future of this podcast, though, tomorrow we are talking about my biggest questions. And they're a little weird. Uh, you can go check out at justbaseball.com right now. It should be on the front page. Um, my Padres offseason outlook. We're going to be talking about that article as well as kind of the, the big headings and what my biggest questions for the Padres this offseason are. That's separate from offseason free agent predictions. Very separate. I got a little creative and silly with this one. So look out for that. As always, creative and silly, your boy. Um, so go check that out. We're going to be talking about the biggest questions. We're going to be talking about whether or not Manny Machado should win the MVP. That could be, hold on, let me get my dates right. That could be Friday's episode, Monday's episode. I'm interested in talking with my old buddy Arm Layton about Jackson Merrill, who he's studied a lot on, who he's been analyzing a lot. And he has some interesting thoughts on that. 
Padres farm system, that could make for a very good episode. And then, of course, we're going to do some offseason predictions. What do the Padres need? What players do they need, man? I mean, somebody please tell me who do the Padres need. I mean, gosh, Lordy. Uh, we're going to be doing player reviews over the next couple of weeks, reviewing guys like Kim. We're going to be reviewing Snell and Darvish and Machado and definitely not Tatis. We're going to talk about first base and how that's a area for them to improve. We're going to talk about catcher. We're going to talk about the best moments of the 2022 Padres. I love a good old listicle, a list countdown of best happy moments. We're keeping it happy despite the elimination, guys. That's what you got to do here. You got to keep the faith. And with all that being said, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, at L-O underscore Padres, Lockdown Padres on YouTube. And until next time. Stay safe and, of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies, take care.